Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Camino Voice Podcast, where I interview folks around Camino Island and beyond. If you want to stay up to date on events, businesses, and even hear a little history of this area, subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. Hey, before I get into this podcast, I wanted to, uh, first of all, thank you guys for listening and joining me on another podcast. Um, I've really enjoyed doing this over the last year, and if you remember from my last podcast, I believe it was that, um, I mentioned that we had passed the one-year mark, and I totally blew by that and didn't really do anything. So anyways, um, I'm trying to really see what we can do to grow the podcast this year and try and make it uh, better than it's been before. Um, And for that, I need your help. So One, I need you guys to share this podcast with your friends and family. So if you've really enjoyed this podcast, if you've enjoyed the interviews and the people I've been able to bring uh, to the forefront, if you could talk and let people know about maybe your favorite podcast and and just send them a link to that. Um, And second off, I want to hear from you guys. So I know I've got a a small group of loyal listeners and uh, I want to hear from you. I want to see... Um, who you guys are. I want to hear uh, any comments that you guys have, or maybe you guys have your own uh, ideas of some great guests I could have on the podcast. So um, if you have any ideas or you just want to say hi, you can send an email to voice at kamenocommons.com. That's voice at kamenocommons.com. So I look forward to hearing from you guys. Uh, Thank you very much. All right. Now, I want to talk about today's guest. So today, I got to speak with Brenna Estrada, who's the owner of Three Brothers Blooms. And she's she started getting coming to the farmer's market this year, the Camino Commons Farmer's Market, for the first time. So I got to meet her through that. And the thing that blew me away about, um, about her stand was that she did these beautiful bouquets. Um, and, and I've not a huge, like I'm not a big flower person. I don't normally notice flowers that much other than when I'm buying them for my wife. Um, but they were, these bouquets that I was looking at were like, they were drastically more like beautiful and, and well put together um, compared to any others I've seen before. Um, and it really blew me away with how well they were put together. And so um, we started talking and throughout the farmer's market and stuff, we would, we would talk a little bit. And then my wife would always pressure me and make sure to get a bouquet to bring it home. So um, anyways, all that being said, I, I finally wanted to reach out to her and have her on the podcast to kind of see what was her background. How did she get started in making bouquets? Um, and we also get into what job did she do before starting this and how completely different it was from what it is now. So um, without further ado, here's my conversation with Brenna Estrada. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice. Today, I'm here with the owner of Three Brothers Blooms. Welcome to the podcast, Brenna Estrada. Thank you. It's awesome to be here. Awesome. Did I get the pronunciation right? You did. Oh, Absolutely. Good. I should have checked that earlier. <laughs> awesome. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about Brenna. Um, I live on the southern end of Camino Island. I am happily married, have three wonderful boys three dogs. I think we're at 24 chickens now and a fantastic little flower farm. Nice. Very cool. So where did you grow up? I was born in California and we moved up here when I was around two or three years old. And I've been in the Lakewood Marysville area, went to elementary and high school, Lakewood High School, and then uh, traveled around once I joined the Marine Corps. And here I am back in Camino. Okay. Nice. So um, so you grew up in uh, Marysville, Arlington area. Then did you go? Did you go to college, or did you go straight into the Marine Corps? No. So after high school, uh, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And for me personally, putting a huge investment into a university when you're really not sure right. what you want to get out of it didn't seem like the best decision. So I was looking for something that would challenge and fulfill me, a little different change of pace, and figured if I was going to join the military, might as well do the hardest. So. <laughs> Join the Marine Corps. Nice. So was that, um, was there any connection like with family or anything that, that they had passed been in military? My brother had served in the Marine Corps. Uh, so I had known a few recruiters that I had become friends with and they checked in on me in high school. And yeah, I initially thought I was going to go into the reserves and they told me that knowing my personality, I wouldn't be satisfied. So might as well go all the way. So I did. I enlisted for five years. Okay. Very cool. And so what kind of drew you to the Marine Corps versus Army or Air Force or other 
or anxious? Uh, it was it was the hardest. Um, for me, it's one of those things I try to never let fear get the best of me. So if something intimidates me or scares me, those are the things I actually try to do. Okay. Yeah. Nice. And how was, um, during those five years, how was that, the whole, like, I guess, where were you at and how did it all kind of go? Yeah. So I uh, went to boot camp in South Carolina and did my combat training in North Carolina. And then I did my first school out in Monterey. I was a Russian linguist. So they taught me my language there, I want to say for about a year and a half. And then I went to Texas uh, for my secondary school. And it was peacetime for me, so I didn't deploy overseas for combat. Okay. And you said um, you were a Russian linguist, like yes. you knew Russian or you got to learn no, Russian? No, <laughs> uh, that was my, my mission of specialty. My MOS was a Russian cryptologic linguist. So they taught me Russian and I had the equivalency of a four-year degree okay. in fluency in reading, writing, and speaking by the time I finished. So it was an intense year for sure. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. Have you ever gotten to visit Russia? I have not. No, okay. it's on my list. Yeah. That's very cool. It's neat to be able to learn a language and really... Yeah, it was challenging for me. I think a lot of people, foreign languages come easy, but definitely not for me. <laughs> but it was a really good experience. Yeah. So. Well, and I think Russian... Um, I don't know where Russian... I, I hear varying views on like what the easiest languages are to learn from English, like the closest related and all mm -hmm. these things. Um, but Russian, when I look at it, I'm like, I don't understand how you get to where you get. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole different alphabet. The Slavic languages are, I think, a little more challenging. I don't think they're nearly as challenging as I know Chinese, Mandarin, or Arabic are extremely challenging languages. Okay. Um, I knew a little Spanish. I knew a little Italian as a kid. My family's Italian, but Russian was definitely my biggest challenge to take on. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Um, nice. So then uh, when you got out of the Marine Corps, mm -hmm. what, what, where'd you go from there? I got an associate's while I was in the Marine Corps, and then when I got out, I had actually planned to go into veterinary medicine. Okay. Um, and I did some work in that and was working to get my accreditation. Um, but it was a little different working in the field than I thought it would be. Uh, I had a huge passion and love for animals, and I felt like because the work sometimes differed and how I thought the care should be of animals, it seemed to take away a little of that passion. And so I felt like I never wanted to lose that. So I thought maybe I needed to find a different line of work for a career and keep it more a hobby. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think when it comes to, I mean, veterinary school in and of itself is a very, very intense school. And, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and it's one of those jobs. And I, like I've, I grew up and I like, I had a dog and I love the dog, but um, like, it's such, I, I get the people that love animals, they want to go mm -hmm. into that field, but I'm like, the, when you're seeing the animals, whether you're a, like, more pet veteran, uh, veterinarian, or if you're, like, a field one, mm -hmm. like, your job is so, like, the job itself is very intense, and, yes. um, like, I don't know. It's so much work to get to a career that you're going to have to put in just as much work when you get there. It's not, not saying that all, all careers that, you know, pay well, whatever, mm -hmm. are easy to get into. And then you have a plush job in the end. But I don't know. There's, there's a lot of jobs that you, you look at their, the end point of them and you're like, okay, so if you get to this point, like you start doing well, you're not, you know, you're higher up in management, but you're working with people. And, mm -hmm. um, but I know a lot of, uh, veterinarian, Veterinarians. That's yes. such a hard word for it me. Is. Right now. <laughs> it is indeed. Um, but we have quite a few friends and people in our church and stuff that are that. And I'm like, so wait, you were up at two in the morning to go out mm -hmm. into a cold field in winter to go help a cow? I'm like, that sounds yeah. exhausting and tired and cold. <laughs> it is. It's a lot of hard work, and they're definitely not one of the most well paid professions. Um, it's definitely a calling, I think, like a lot of lines of work. But for me, the hardest part was. Um, you know, people sometimes care for their animals differently and mm -hmm. you come encounter a lot with people who don't necessarily care for them the way they should be. And it can be a little heartbreaking and, um, there's not much you can do about it. So that was the part that kind of, I just felt like, you know, <laughs> I think I'm going to be a little too sad. So <laughs> I, yeah, I decided to keep it more of a hobby and yeah, but it's, it's an amazing profession and my hat's definitely off to the veterinarians out there. They are well needed. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's, again, it's one, I think it's because it's so difficult and, um, the work is hard. Mm -hmm. Um, one of our friends was talking and their area used to have, I think like five or six for a big chunk of Oregon, the, the region. 
And they're like, we needed probably, you know, at least a few more, if not double that, to really cover it. Oh, for sure. But now they're down to, like, three veterinarians for that whole area. And he's just, like, he's just always working. Mm -hmm. He's exhausted. They just had a newborn um, a few, like, probably, like, six months ago now. Oh, my goodness. But, like, going from one to two kids. So it's, like, that's a big jump. The sleep Um. struggle. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's a lot. So, anyways, yeah, that's been... um, yeah, I'm just like, man, that's such a difficult profession. and Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Very cool. So then um, from there then, you got your, what was your associates in? Just a standard? Or? It was just associates of the arts. Yeah. Okay. I just, um, you know, they provide great opportunities when you're active duty military and even after with education opportunities. And as I still wasn't exactly sure what I wanted my career to be in, I didn't want to not take advantage of it at all. So yeah, I was able, I had had some community college credits from running start and I was able to transfer most of them over to get at least an associates started. So, all right. Um, so then where did you go from there? Um, I actually, when I was talking with my dad, he is a retired law enforcement and was mentioning that I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And he had told me that they were hiring at our 911 agency for okay. dispatchers and that I should apply. So kind of on a whim, I put in my application and got a job there. Okay. So is that anything you had ever really thought about before? No, never, honestly, not until he mentioned it. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, there's 911 operators out there, but I don't think it just ever occurred to me to want to be one. Right. Um, yeah, it's it's an intense testing <laughs> process and it's an intense job and it's yeah. not like any other job out there. You know, there's like any first responders, I mean, even on the other end of the radio where we are, it's there's not holidays per se. There's never right. downtime. I mean, the facility operates 24-7, 365, and every position has to be staffed and at all times. And, yeah, it's a pretty intense environment. Wow. Yeah. And um, I, so I had I interviewed uh, Luke Plumbeck, um, who's a local sheriff on the – or uh, deputy. Yeah. Get them. Um but we were talking about that, and he's like, man, he's like, hats off to the people that are the 911 operators, because he's like, um, we were talking how, in today's day and age, like, talking on the phone is more and more of a rarity, and mm-hmm. you almost, you don't get anxiety, but you're just kind of like, oh, it's a phone call, like, and then, <laughs> but, like, to have that and know that it's going to be a difficult thing, like, something yes. bad is going to happen every time you pick up the phone. Yes. It, he was just like, that is an intense job. It's, I mean, I think there's a lot of mutual respect between, you know, the people we dispatch on the other mid radio, the firefighters and the officers, um, and then the dispatch side. And it is hard. I think the call takers, it's one of those things you're dealing with really the five worst percent of the population out there is who we're coming in contact with as far as on the criminal side. But right. you're also dealing with good people and possibly the worst moment of their life. Right. Um, And it's a lot of heartache, and it's a lot of sorrow, and it's, you know, a lot of fear. And um, it's hard to keep that positive perspective that because all you see are these types of situations and people in these states and these types of people that that's not how the other 95% is. Yeah. So I think it's really important for source responders on their downtime to get out there with, I call it like the real world, but it's, you know, just the more the side of the good people to kind of help keep that balance. Yeah. There's also light in with a lot of the darkness that they're having to deal with. Right. Yeah. No, that's definitely something I I didn't necessarily think about with that, but just that it's, you're only seeing the bad side of Mm -hmm. humanity. Um, Yeah. And so you, yeah, really trying to balance that and making sure you're seeing both sides. It is. And I think, I mean, definitely, especially law enforcement firefighters, that's a calling. It's huge. You know, you're putting all of yourself aside to help complete strangers every shift. And there's a huge risk that you won't make it home. Um, you're taking on these huge burdens and this heartache. So it's not that these people, I think, are some of the most compassionate people in the world to be willing to give their life to the service of others. But when you see all this heartache, you can't you can't really let yourself absorb it because the human spirit just can't, you can't hold that much. I mean, you would just break. So you almost have to put up this protective barrier and go from call to call to call to call. And sometimes, you know, some will stick with you, but you have to be able to just kind of immediately let it go because two seconds later you have a new caller on who now needs your help or a new call you're responding to that now needs your full attention when you feel like you haven't even finished decompressing from the last call. It's, 
a really unique um, situation for people to find themselves in. So when you have people that can do that for 10, 20 years, it's, it's astounding and it's amazing. And they're absolute heroes in, in my eyes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that was like, how, I guess, what is that? Like, I guess I don't, it's hard to imagine going into a job that's that high octane for, I don't know how long your guys' shifts are, but probably fairly long and like day after day. How, I guess, how, it, how do you guys work through that and handle that and? The shifts are usually 8 to 12 hours, I think, on both sides for both dispatchers and uh, law enforcement shifts. But then there's always overtime or if you're on a big call or um, a lot of times, you know, you're staying over for longer shifts. Um, I think who you surround yourself with is a big part of it. Um, Keeping friends and family that understand, you know, the toll it takes Mm -hmm. on you to be able to help you have that time to decompress. Um, There's a lot of peer support groups now that are coming out that are huge. I think for a long time it was the norm, as it was even in the military, just, you know, you don't talk about it. You just keep it in, you just do it, you handle it, and you move on. You don't talk about it, you don't show that it affects you. And I think now there's a lot more understanding and a lot more um, support for people to really be able to process and handle and release all the things that they're dealing with, which I think is absolutely crucial right? for survival in all aspects. Yeah. And, and were those groups and stuff, were those starting when you were, uh, while you were still uh, in the dispatch? Yeah. So I was a dispatcher for 16 years wow. and it was probably about halfway through my career that you really started to see those peer support groups come out. Um, both anonymous talk groups for law enforcement officers to call in, um, a lot more military support. There's a lot more groups out there. It's the 22 veterans every day that commit suicide. It's heartbreaking. And you have a lot of that in the law enforcement community as well. Firefighters, too. I don't think people realize, you know, they're not necessarily dealing with the criminal side, but the tragedy, the medical tragedy, the loss of life, it's just, it's heartbreaking on the human spirit. And um, I think just supporting them and what they do and their service to others is such a huge important thing. Mm-hmm. Remembering that they're human, you know, that they have emotions and fragility with all the rest of us despite their line of work. Yeah. Yeah. And I was talking with Luke about this as well um, because I think the there's the, the emotional aspect that they have to deal with and be able to work through. And, and it sounds like there's some peer groups moving that way mm-hmm. um, to assist with that. But I also feel like for the spouses who have to deal with these situations that are, um, you know, maybe a, a radically angry person, like they're, they're normal and then they're not. And then, um, or just go through mood swings or like just yes. working with that, living with that mm-hmm. um, day in and day out as well. It is, it is. And it's hard. And I think that, um, trying to have that understanding and Compassion, I think, especially for spouses, I think for me being a dispatcher, uh, my husband's law enforcement on the other side is a little easier because I feel like I have a better understanding of it. Um, But especially, you know, for spouses that don't ever see that, don't get to see what happens. um, And you want to protect them, too. You know, it's Mm -hmm. a lot of darkness. I'm sure most law enforcement first responders don't necessarily want to share that with their spouse because it's heartbreaking. Why, Why have them hurt with you? So you try to protect them um, as you process what you've heard, what you've seen, what you've dealt with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that can almost feel like a bit of a disconnect um, despite the understanding of why. And it, it can be hard. It definitely creates its own challenges in a marriage. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, is that where you and your husband met then? Yeah, we met. I was uh, a dispatcher at the time and he was law enforcement. Okay, nice. Um, and so that... So he's still in law enforcement then? He is, is he local or is he... Um, uh, city of Everett. Everett, okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. How long has he been doing that? Oh, gosh. 12, 13 years now, I want to say. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so you were with them for... You were a dispatcher for 16 years. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Thank you. That's a long time. <laughs> um, but where did you go? So what kind of... I guess what kind of prompted you eventually to kind of decide that, okay, I think it's time to move on? Um, I think just honestly, who I am as a person just kind of evolved in time. Having kids changed me for sure, mm-hmm. um, especially with my third son. Um, we knew he was going to be the last baby, and it was you just really want to absorb every moment, and you want to be present, and you really starting to reflect on the world around and how we wanted to raise our kids. And 
uh, what was most important to us. And I felt like I was becoming more, I don't want to say more of a compassionate person because I feel I've always been compassionate, which is why I chose being into dispatch and staying there. But for me, it was, I wasn't as able to separate from the calls. I was starting to mm-hmm. take more of my work home, I guess you could say, in the sense that the sorrows I dealt with and the heartache, it stuck with me more. And I was finding myself being quieter at home and a little more withdrawn, um, needing more time by myself to decompress and just being triggered by sorrow a lot more easily than I used to be. Yeah. Um, and so I felt like maybe it was time that I got into something else. It felt like I was leaving my family with an empty cup. Like my cup was being poured out at work with everything I had in me. And by the time yeah. I got home, I had nothing left to give. Right. And I felt that wasn't really fair for my family. Yeah. How, how long were you a dispatcher um, while still having kids? Um, so I had my first son... Oh, gosh, I'd been a dispatcher for five-ish years, maybe. Wow. Um, and I, I did some part-time with them when they were little. I worked at part-time as dispatch, so I could be home with them some. Um, yeah, but it's just, you know, and even just the long shifts and being gone from them, but it was more the effect it had on me as a person, I think, yeah. was the hard part. And I just, I did. I felt like it was time I found a more peaceful profession. And I wasn't sure what it was. And I made a joke when I was at that point with my husband. I said, I need to find a job where I can work with flowers or puppies. And it was, <laughs> honestly, it was a complete joke at the time. And I never imagined that it would lead me to the path I found. But yeah. Yeah. Something that was definitely full of happiness. Yeah. Very cool. Um, yeah. I think it does. Um, I mean, obviously, as, as we grow up and stuff like that, we, we change and we um, certain things become more real as you have more experiences to link to it. Um, but I do think that like having kids was one of, at least for me and my wife, that was definitely something that made it a lot more, things were a lot more, the world was a lot scarier, right? Because it's not Very just you different. and your wife anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, there's a lot more you're looking out for. You can't control them, you know, yes. in, in every aspect of every life. Um, and, and we really weren't, we weren't like helicopter parents and like we didn't, we were actually more relaxed then than now I feel like. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, we just, we, you know, we, we went through a, point where we actually almost lost um our youngest and it it that definitely shocked us and um you know ever since then like for me it's like ever since then like movies that even hint at like child passing or something like I'll start crying (laughs) yes no and I'm the same way and I think that that's the thing is that I think for a lot of people you know and it's it's that whole saying ignorance is bliss and I know it almost is said in a demeaning way but I don't believe that at all I think that it's true in a kind of a good way in that you know it's when people are sheltered from the realities of the darkness thank heavens because Mm -hmm. that's where you want to be you don't want to know all that awful that is taking place that is happening that you're not seeing because it just makes you hurt. Um, But once you've had that experience and you've, for us, you know, as first responders, you've seen the calls where it happens or you've experienced it close to home with um, the loss of a child, it changes everything about the way you look at life. You Mm -hmm. know, anything that hints to it, like you said, movies bother me. I can't watch movies um, with children being hurt. It just, it bothers me too much. And you feel so differently with your own kids and situations and you realize how much you can't control in life and what happens to them. And every moment seems so much more precious with them because the reality that it could be anybody any day to include your children, that that just, that's it. That's their last. And yeah, it's, um, it changes how you live for sure. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing is uh, that you were mentioning just that, like that, um, the shelter of the, like protecting the kids from knowing everything, all the evil and stuff that goes oh, on in yeah. the world um, and social media and the internet and everything has just broken that box open. And now kids very young are understanding and experiencing or learning about these terrible things that are happening in other countries or in our country. And um, they're seeing these things at such a young age before they can really process them. But mm-hmm. they're, they're almost being shocked with these things so early on now. They are, and I think it actually is changing how children grow up, Mm -hmm. for sure. There was a saying I heard, and I can't remember where I heard it. It was ages ago, but it said childhood is over the moment you learn you're going to die. And I think that so many of our kids now, it's almost like there's, I want to say like a five to 10-year shift, and that our 13-year-olds are being exposed to things they shouldn't be exposed to till their early 20s. And Mm -hmm. 
they're they're dealing with it. They're finding ways because you do in life. Right. But it's forcing them to just society so different for our children now with what they're almost becoming numb to, mm-hmm. which I think is sorrowful and sad in the levels of violence and um, images and just all kinds of things that I feel like children should not only have to know about or process, but for them to find their ways to cope with it and adapt and become numb to it for me is just heartbreaking at such young ages. Yeah. And I've, I've mentioned this before on the podcast, talking to um, other people as well, but it it is also like the situations around bullying and things like that. Like you no longer escape those. You don't go home and you escape those because you're at home and you're safe now. Mm -mm. Like they follow you everywhere because they're always connected. Yeah. I, I am so thankful that I went to high school in an age with no social media. I mean, for us, it was the little note you have in class and you fold it cute and you pass it and then you burn the original (laughs) note and no one knew and there was no evidence. And the picture was the one little camera picture, the Polaroid. And, um, it's such a different world now for children. And it's, it's heartbreaking, I think, for parents, and it's terrifying. And um, the best we try to do for our kids is you can't – there's so much you can't control. And I think the best you can do is try to prepare them for it and help them keep a healthy perspective. Right. Um, that although high school, by all means, feels like the entire world when you're in it. And I remember that feeling, that the entire world is outside of it. Yeah. And be true to you and the right people will like you for who you are and you'll get through it and you'll get out of high school and then you make your own life and it's going to be great and it's it's not forever. And I think that's just the best thing we're trying to do for our kids is let them know, you know, that not everyone's nice, not everyone's great. Um, stick to who you are and follow what you believe and what you want in life. And after high school, you'll be able to make that life for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, that. I think that's very important for, I mean, it's so difficult too, because I think um, even growing up, I remember there was, there's just different groups of kids. Some kids are able to um, be okay with themselves and um, be able to get that self-confidence and just kind of coast through a lot of, even if they get bullied to some degree, like they're able to get through a lot of that Mm -hmm. um, much easier. And there's some people that every insult is so difficult for them to get past. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had friends, um, like I was one of the, and I had a, I was homeschooled, so I did have a sheltered group. Um, I had five very close friends that we grew up together. Um, and during that, you know, even in that, there's still dynamics and stuff that go on. And we had a fairly big homeschool group community on the island during that time. Yeah. Um, but I felt like I was able to work through different things pretty well. And I saw other friends um, or family that just didn't, and it was a lot harder for them. Yeah, yeah. um, Yeah, I think it's important that they, friends for sure are a huge part of it, but Mm -hmm. it is. Each child, I think, handles it so differently, and some take it so much to heart. Yeah. It's it's something that they just can't seem to find a way through, and um, others, yeah, they just, by personality, they just slough it off. It doesn't bother them at all. You can't even phase them, but, you know, you really can't control I think to an extent the core of your child they are who they are and Mm -hmm. so it's just trying to navigate what helps them best for their own personality type right um I remember when my son one of my boys he was just the sweetest sweetest thing and I remember the first time he ever experienced another child being cruel to him and he couldn't fathom it was that he was they were on a playground but he just it was so hard for him to wrap his head around why someone would not be nice Like he just, he was not a cruel kid by nature. He'd never been unkind to anybody. And so his first experience with someone being unkind to him, he he couldn't even comprehend why someone would on purpose make someone else feel bad. Right. Um, And it kind of makes you ponder on the human race and why we're like that. And, you know, is it a learned behavior? Is it experience? What causes that at such a young age? But, um, you know, I want to believe that inherently people are kind by nature and Maybe it's life that turns them another way, but regardless, yeah, it's the bullying is definitely a lot more intense in schools now yeah. than it was. Well, and, and I was just actually talking to a friend of mine about this. The bullying from kids, I mean, high school and down, mm-hmm. is so different because the cruelty that they will go to and their verbiage and their what they say and things is there's no filter. No. And so they say these things that, you know, you literally can get arrested for as an adult. Oh, for sure. And it's just... It's the kids, the the other kids have to deal with that, you know. Yeah, it's it's shocking to me. It's heartbreaking. Um, 
I think, you know, I'm a bit old fashioned in my parenting with my boys. We're really big on respect and really mm -hmm. big on manners. Um, and I, we tolerate a lot, but one of the things we don't tolerate is cruelty. Yeah. And, uh, you know, help and help my sweet little boys if, they, <laughs> if I find out that they're being cruel to other kids, you know, and we tell them it's, it's one of those things, you know, if you're in a position to stand up for somebody else that can't stand up for themselves and you feel that's what you want to do, we support you in it. You yeah. know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's scary. The bullying, it makes me nervous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I think the other important aspect of that is that relationship with the parents is, is working through that and, um, you know, keeping that strong. And, and I know there's always that balance of like, um, friends, you know, being a friend or a parent. Um, but I think just keeping that relationship open and just continuing to, um, you know, foster that. Is yeah, for important. sure. Yeah, I absolutely so. agree. But yeah. Um, very cool. So then, um, from leaving there, how did you, did you take a break for a while after leaving the dispatcher then? No. So it's funny, you know, I joked, Oh, I need a job with puppies or flowers. Um, and then not much long later, one of my dear friends let me know that, uh, Florette flower in Mount Vernon was hiring seasonally. Okay. And at the time it was, um, just a simple job assisting them with the holiday. You know, they were really busy, um, certainly at that pay level and what was happening, it wasn't something I could have based a career off, but I thought, you know, what if, oh my gosh, what if, what if they meet me and I do a really good job and they want to keep me forever. And <laughs> so, you know, I talked to my husband cause it was a bit difficult for us. You know, I would have had to back off my time at my job that was a good steady income, um, to be able to allow the time to then start part-time somewhere else. And so it was a huge leap of faith um, that may have gone absolutely nowhere. They certainly didn't talk about having an actual p permanent position open, um, but my husband was extremely supportive and wonderful, and we pulled a lot of strings and got some support from our family, and uh, we were able to make it work so I could get in there seasonally. And I think I actually even said to them that I'm, I'm really hoping you'll love me and keep me forever. <laughs> <laughs> and so it worked out. It did. They uh, eventually offered me a permanent position, and... Lo and behold, I got to work with flowers. Nice. So what was the, what was the, I guess, what was the starting position and then how did that kind of evolve? Uh, it was just a seasonal position. I assisted with um, packing seeds and filling orders. Okay. And then it was kind of a, you know, hey, do you want to stay on and help us with the greenhouses, with seed sowing and planting and cleaning up around the farm and um, eventually led to me being able to be the shop lead, which is where I am now. I assist in customer service and I am the shop lead. Okay. So, so do they have like a retail location there as well then? Uh, it's a closed farm. It's closed to the public, but okay. it's online. So everything we do is online. We have an online shop and they have some really incredible seeds that we ship out all over the world. So nice. yeah, it's really neat. Very cool. And how long have you been there? Uh, so it's been about two years now that okay. I've been there. Yeah. Nice. Um, so then <clears throat> how did that lead you? I mean, I can see a lot of connections obviously, <laughs> but um, when did you kind of decide like, you were enjoying it enough that you wanted to actually go out on your own and do some of this. So the it's when I had never grown anything from seed before okay. I started working there. Um, and I honestly didn't even know about the concept of a cutting garden. For me, it was kind of more landscaping, all the stuff I'd ever done with flowers, which I always loved them, but it was always in landscaping. Mm -hmm. um, so when you cut your tulips and you cut your roses, it's like, well, now your landscaping's bare. So <laughs> having a bouquet wasn't really something you got from your yard, but then being there and learning all about it and the idea of a cutting garden, having a garden literally where the sole purpose is to cut flowers and make bouquets um, was such an extraordinary thing. And Erin put out, her first book was called Cut Flower Garden, and she goes over Everything. I mean, it can take you from absolutely knowing nothing about flowers to not only being able to grow, but being able to actually start a business off of it all in one book. And it was um, a kind of a revelation for me and being in it and seeing it happen on the farm was definitely a huge part. But so I gave it a go uh, last year it was my first year. Okay. And I bought a bunch of seed packets and I sowed all my seeds and followed the book religiously. And um, yeah, we gave away all of our blooms last year, just kind of seeing how things went. And my boys showed a lot of interest and asked if we could try a farmer's market the next year. And I thought it'd be a great way for them to kind of learn that balance of you get out what you put in. So working hard in the garden with me and sowing seeds and pulling weeds and harvesting and caring for the flowers to be able to then be personable with people, develop those relationships in the markets yeah. and bring in the money and, you know, everything about that um, seemed like a really great start for them. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. yeah. And it's a great... Um lesson for kids to kind of see the the whole sc scope of business in a small 
Yeah, right. yeah, small scale. So definitely our, our little uh, flower farm that we have is very much small scale and definitely more of a passion than mm-hmm. a source of major income for us. Um, I do it really for the boys to have them have that experience and just because we love it so much. Yeah. So I'm assuming that's where the the name comes around from? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when we first started last year, I honestly, it was just because of where I was working and seeing all this and wanting to bring it home and wanting to have it in my yard. um, We did it for fun, and it just kind of evolved on its own, really. And my boys being such a huge part of it um, was a surprise to me. I mean, I hoped they'd enjoy it, but Mm -hmm. seeing the dynamic in that time, and it's such a wonderful thing just for me being out there in the dirt with your kids and just having these things grow in this beauty and watching their faces. I mean, boys or girls alike, you know, when yeah. you see these beautiful flowers and you're smelling these smells, it just, it's such an amazing thing. It just kind of stops time for a moment and just kind of, it's, it's grounding and it's a beautiful yeah, way to spend time with your kids. Yeah. Well, and I have to admit my wife is the gardener and like takes care of our yard for the most part. I, mow the lawn and that's about it. And the kids are starting to get old enough to do that. So, um, (laughs) it was one of the things when we were uh, getting married, she's like, I always want to have a farm. And it's like, I don't want to be a farmer. (laughs) It's a lot of work. It's It's a a lot lot of work. work. Um, I mean, and she just means like homegrown um, for us, but I'm like, I don't like doing that. But, um, (laughs) she gets out with the kids and they, um, they love doing, you know, different projects and Mm -hmm. different things. They try, um, two years ago, I think it was, or maybe it was last year. Um, we got a bunch of sunflower seeds for a, um, just attached to a a Christmas gift as Mm -hmm. like an extra thing. And she's like, oh, this will be for the kids. They'll enjoy it. And three of our kids didn't, like, they thought it was interesting, but then they got bored of it. But my wife would use the, saved a bunch of the bags that we got. And my, my youngest is a very busy boy. And he always is running around and doing something. And he's not bad. He just, if he, if he can be taken apart or destroyed, he does on accident, you know, out of <laughs> happiness, I guess. Um, but my wife was able to give, like, a handful to him. And he would run inside, and she would give him a handful. And then he would go back outside and very carefully, like, plant each sunflower seed. Aww. And he did each one. And then, um, you know, later on, they all bloomed and they all grew really large. And um, my wife was always like, yep, that's my Beamer distraction garden right there. Oh, how perfect. Um, so he's really enjoyed that. Um, and they think, it, you know, they're we homeschool, so everything's, you know, being yeah. wrapped up. And It's a um, lot of lessons to be mm-hmm. learned in growing. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So, um, very cool. So then where did you, I'm assuming, so you, you learned the bouquet and everything. You learned that from working at Florette and. Um, yes and no. So the growing and everything I've learned from at the farm, um, Florette has transitioned more away from in the beginning. She did a lot of, well, obviously they sold flowers, um, at Florette and they did a lot of workshops, um, and bouquet making instructions and all that. And Erin does still put out a lot of that online, really wonderful, free online resources, um, mini video courses that allows flower farmers or aspiring growers, all the tools they need to grow. Um, she's incredibly generous with her knowledge and just she shares everything she's learned freely, which is really astounding. Um, but for me with my, my flower farm, I guess kind of Obviously, all my growing came from what I've learned through Florette. Um, but with what I put, like on my Instagram page, for example, and the bouquets that I make, it's mm-hmm. really me just trying to share the flowers the way I see them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about flower farmers is that, yes, we may be growing the same varieties, um, but every flower farmer is different and everyone makes a bouquet different. It's very much like a painting, in my opinion. No yeah. two bouquets are ever going to be the same. Um, no two flower farmers are ever going to have the same exact style because we all see things differently. Um, so I just try to put the bouquets together, um, photograph my flowers to show people the way I see them. This is the beauty and the way I see it in the mm-hmm. flowers and just kind of try to share that with others. Yeah. And that was, um, so when we found out, um, you guys signed up for the farmers, the Camino farmers market for the first time this mm-hmm. year. And, um, but my sister-in-law and wife were talking and I was like, oh yeah, we finally have a flower, you know, we've got another flower person coming because we've had other flower people throughout the years. Um, but I was like, they only do flowers and they do like bouquets, not just, um, you know, we've had some dahlias people and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, I was like, but she, like this person focuses just on the bouquets and stuff. 
And then I believe you dropped one off at the marketplace um, as a kind of like, we're coming to the market. And, yeah. Um, and I was like, man, like it was dropped off when I wasn't down there. And so I was like, wow, who are these for? And they're like, I don't know. Some person dropped them off. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so I took them home, uh, gave them to my wife. And she's like, no way. Are these the people coming to the farmer's market? I was like, I think so. I mean, I'm assuming so. They're the same name. And she said, oh, we, I've been following them on uh, Instagram for a while. Like, she makes beautiful bouquets. And um, anyways, so that they already knew about you guys and, and your farm before oh, you guys actually amazing. showed up. Um, but honestly, it was one of those, you know, I've, I've obviously when you walk in grocery store stuff, you see flowers and bouquets. And, um, and then I've gone to farmer's markets and stuff. Um, but uh, honestly, like, the, the bouquets that you guys put together, that you put together, are some of the most beautiful that I've ever seen. They're just like so well put together and everything complements them each other. And um, I'm not a flower person by any means. <laughs> um, but every time I see them, I'm like, man, I don't think I've ever seen a bouquet like that. Oh, that makes me so, so happy, honestly. So. It just, man, does that fill my heart. It's, I feel like um, I have no musical talent for sure. Definitely not a singer, can't play an instrument. I don't think I'm much of an artist, but for me, this is kind of where my passion and my heart is and the making the bouquets is kind of my way of painting and just trying to share, like I said, the beauty of the flowers, the way I see them. So for people to feel that beauty and to see that beauty, um, I definitely want my flowers to last. You know, I try really carefully to harvest at the right times, make sure that these bouquets bring at least a week's worth of joy. Um, but to hear people say that they have and they enjoy them is just, oh my gosh, yeah, couldn't make me happier. Yeah. No, they're, they're, they really have been, um, you know, whenever you guys have been at the market, I try and pick one up because I know the, you guys were out for a couple weeks there and my, or then I was out as well. Like I was missing Tuesdays and my wife's like, well, why aren't you there on Tuesdays? <laughs> oh, so, thank um, you. Yeah. So then how has, has that changed, I guess, to... I mean, you've picked this year as your first year to be at markets, and this is the year of COVID, of course. Yeah. Um, how has that kind of affected everything? It hasn't affected us too much. Um, like our flower farm, again, it's, you know, my my main job is at Florette. It's my dream job. I love it. So this is very much a completely separate, just on the side, more for passion, for fun, to give my boys that experience. Um, so everything we do is very small scale. Um, the farmer's market was great for us. The community was so supportive and so loving. And we had a lot of really wonderful, loyal customers that we saw every week. So it was great for me. And I think great for the boys too, to see mm -hmm. that you develop that relationship with your community. Um, you provide them something that you do your best to give in high quality. And that's a little bit different. Um, and they recognize that and they come back and support you for it. And so it was nice to teach them those lessons. Um, it's hard, you know, trying to be personable with people with a mask on. I think yes. that was the hardest part because they can't see the smiles and it's a little harder to interact. Um, but other than that, you know, it's just, we're such a small scale farm. We were still able to really keep up with that. We have people reach out to us for occasion bouquets, which we love, you know, sending us messages through mm -hmm. Instagram or emails asking for, Hey, you know, my sister has a birthday or, you know, even condolence bouquets. Um, I remember when I was asked to do my first funeral flowers and I, was surprised. It's not that I didn't know that that was out there, but it just, you know, it's like, oh gosh, you know, it's like it, it brings a whole different value to it. And we had our first wedding this summer that we got to do flowers for. And, um, for us in particular, we want to keep it very small. Yeah. Um, I am very careful that everything I put in my bouquets is something I've grown in my garden from seed. Um, yeah. I don't outsource flowers. I don't do wholesale and not that there's anything against that by any means. It's just, for us with what we're doing, that's kind of our whole goal is that everything is grown from seed in our garden seasonally. This is what nature provides. This is what the garden is speaking to us. Yeah. Um, so it's been, it's actually been pretty good this year, even despite COVID because it's just keeping within the scope of our small garden. Yeah. It's been great. Yeah. Well, and I think, um, one of the things that with everything with, with around COVID right now, um, you know, everything has been canceled across the board yes. and the fact that farmer's markets are still allowed to happen. Um, I think we've had our, our best farmer's market year that we've ever had. Um, and I just, it was surprising how, I mean, normally the farmer's market, it happens every Tuesday throughout the summer. 
Um, and I enjoy it, and I'm glad that it's there and it's going. But, like, this year, I just felt like every time I saw the tents and that there was people around, and it was just a different, like, like oh, we're not getting this from anywhere else right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think even in particular the Camino Farmers Market, I mean, we're a tiny market. You yeah. know, there's, what, seven to ten vendors on some right. days, which is so small compared to other markets out there that have hundreds of vendors or 50 vendors. Um, and I've had friends, you know, that do flower markets out at the Arlington Farmer's Market or they'll do Lake Stevens or Everett. And they come to the Camino Market and they all comment on how different it is. Such, mm-hmm. It's just a different community and a different feel. And they're so supportive. And um, you just feel good being there. Just it's everyone's there. It's just I think we're all just coming together. And especially this year with COVID, like you said, so much has been canceled. But I think the Stanwood Camino community still has kind of that small town very much support local, shop local, yes. keep it within your community, um, keep those small businesses going. Um, a lot of fresh, organic, healthy kind of thing. We have a huge artist community right. on the island, a lot of retirees. And so I think that feeling that we were kind of all still coming together and supporting each other is really important and a really big kind of reassurance for a lot of people here in the area. Yeah. And I felt that every Tuesday at the market, I felt that. So, yeah. Yeah, no, and we have, I mean, we obviously have some some great vendors. We have a lot of great vendors that have come through um, and that are, like, that started this year and have been with us for a long time. But, like, Ananda and uh, Island Harvest, yeah. both of them, like, are always just, like, shining lights with where they are. And, Absolutely. Um, so I always go out. If, if Even if I don't need to buy anything, I'll, I'll go Oh, out how can you hi. not? <laughs> Ananda had this giant, like, five-pound tomato once that I saw calling me from across the market. And, yeah, I had to buy it. Yeah, they they put out amazing, amazing food. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful, beautiful produce. Very cool. So um, what do you kind of see the future of Three Brothers Blooms then? Um, you know, it's, it's kind of... Uh, I'm willing to take it as it comes. I'm willing to take in all the blessings that are coming our way. I definitely will keep it really the size it is. Mm -hmm. I don't think we'll ever get bigger. Um, I like it being very manageable, being able to really control the quality of what we do, um, keeping it really small within the community. I've had people ask me if we're going to branch out to other farmer's markets on Saturdays and do this and do big weddings. And that's just not, I don't think that's really our cup of tea. Yeah, I think we really like just being... um, as high quality as we can, as true to what we started as we can, true to our passion, and really just keeping it very much within our community and our local area. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, as long as the support stays there, we, we'd love to keep bringing bouquets to everyone around us. <laughs> very cool. All right. Well, I like to end every podcast with some rapid-fire questions. Um, right. So the first one is, uh, what purchase of $100 or less uh, have you enjoyed the most over the last three months? Oh. Probably roses. I keep buying roses. I can't <laughs> help it. I'll be driving home and this little voice will be like, oh, look, roses, you should stop. And Orchard's Nursery gets me all the time because they're right there on my drive home and they have all the roses lined along the fence. I think I brought home six more rose bushes that I still haven't planted because I don't know where to put them. But they just, they bring me so much joy. And so, yeah, definitely, definitely plants Very for nice. sure. Very cool. We, uh, that reminds me of, um, I used to work at Skagit Farmer Supply as a kid or during my, in high school. And there was a guy that worked there seasonally, but he would only work so that he could afford to buy seeds. So <laughs> yes. like every time he came in and was leaving from work, you would see him and he had just handfuls of seeds and he was just like, time to go plant and it would run off. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. And it's that way. I think for, you know, a lot of my friends that do flower farming also where it may not necessarily be our sole income. And even for some of them where it is, it's like, as long as you can make enough to live and to keep feeding your garden. Like if I can keep buying, you know, making enough that I can just plant again next year and plant again next year, I'm good. I don't know any flower farmers that are like, I want to be rich. It's yeah. very much, this is what I love. And if I can just make enough to keep doing it every year, I am thrilled. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a very joyful, joyful kind of place. Yeah. Very cool. Um, pretend you have a friend coming from out of town. Uh, what would their first day look like here? Oh, I have had friends come from out of town. And usually the first day starts with your marketplace. Your bakery is, oh my gosh, it is amazing. So usually coffee and bakery and then to the beach, I think. We have yeah. some of the most beautiful beaches out here on Camino. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's always best to start a first day visit, kind of chilled out at the beach for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's really nice. All right. Who is an interesting or fascinating person in this community that I should interview next? 
Oh my goodness. I am lucky enough to know a lot of really amazing, fascinating people. Um, someone I think that deserves even more recognition for sure, uh, is Deanna with Twig and Vine in Conway. And she is a fellow flower farmer, but she has started this amazing concept called growing kindness. And she has ambassadors, I believe all over the nation now. And they basically make sure that these gardeners and these growers get free supplies, free bulbs, free seed, um, teach them the tools, and then they grow flowers for their community and they just give away free flowers. They give them to, um, patients in hospice, they give them to first responders, they give them to, you know, senior citizens, they give them to food banks and just seeing that joy and those flowers go out and giving these people these tools to be able to do it is an amazing thing. Yeah. yeah. I think more people should definitely know that that's happening. Very cool. Um, and lastly, if you could have a message on a billboard right as you're driving on the island, what would that say? Oh, gosh, that's a tough one. I love our island. I think our island is amazing. I never intend to leave. Um, <laughs> but for the world in general right now, I think my my message I try to put out is just to um, practice compassion. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people say practice kindness, which I absolutely wholeheartedly agree in. But even a step further, I think, is compassion. Because I think you can be kind to someone without ever trying to give a thought of okay, why are they different? Why do they think differently? I can still be kind. But to actually practice the compassion of, of understanding, you know, this person may be just as good of a person as I am and likely is, yet they think so very different yeah. and why. And right. just giving them that respect and that extra compassion of understanding that, you know, no two people have the same life. Right. And um, it is, I think, our tragedies and heartaches and difficulties that lead us to make the choices we make and stand for the things we stand for and believe in what we believe, whether it's the lack of those heartaches or the abundance of those heartaches. But, um, with no two people having the same life experience, it's so unlikely that we're ever going to all be the same in our beliefs. And I think just having the compassion that this person's journey has brought them to this and it's no less or worse or more or off than your journey that brought you to this, you Mm -hmm. know, and it, we're still, all in this together and you can still be just as close to someone who thinks differently with you as long as you see them with a sense of compassion and respect. Yeah. I think that was beautifully said. Thank you. Yeah. All right. I think that's a great way to end the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It was, it was fun. Thank you. Yeah. All right. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Brenna Estrada for joining me on the podcast today. And thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other Islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode, you can go to kamenocommons.com slash EP65. That's kamenocommons.com slash EP65. Thanks for listening and see you next time.